0: We're looking at 2 Timothy 2, and Audrey's going to come up and read it for us. You can find it in the Blue Bibles on page 1198, or follow along on the screen behind. Thanks, Audrey. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown, except by competing according to the rules. The hard-working farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this." Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel for which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Here is a trustworthy saying, If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with Him. If we disown Him, He will also disown us. If we are faithless, He remains faithful, for He cannot disown Himself.
1: Well, thanks Audrey and good morning again everyone. It's great to have you with us here as we continue on our look at the letter we know as to Timothy in the sermon series that we've called Finish the Race. As it's the Apostle Paul reflecting back on a lifetime of serving Jesus since he first met him post-resurrection on the road to Damascus. We saw last week that the Apostle Paul, across his life, has suffered much for the sake of the Gospel and presently, as he writes this, he's under fear of being executed for it and he's called his spiritual son, Timothy, whom he loves dearly, to join him in suffering in the same way... And we considered last week just how unusual it is to call those that we love to suffer, even to the point of death, uh, for a greater purpose. If you missed it, I think uh, first sermons in the series are always worth catching up on. And if you weren't aware, all our sermons are podcasted and usually go up Monday afternoon for that very reason. But for now, if you're thinking, oh man, I can't believe I missed a Sermon on Suffering, don't fear, because we'll be looking at this from a different angle uh, this way today, because it's really uh, a very present theme throughout the letter of 2 Timothy. And usually when you talk about suffering for the Gospel, one of the first questions people ask themselves is, well, what does it look like? I don't seem to be kind of suffering for the Gospel, nor do I want to. Is that Okay. And we will explore those questions today, but I want to say up front that it is human nature to shy away from any form of suffering. And I think as that pertains to the Christian life, it's easy. There's almost a gravitational pull kind of wanting us to kind of settle down on the least costly pattern of the Christian life that you can. There's almost, a, it feels like, a a gravitational pull away from counting the cost, for example, of investing in the lives of our brothers and sisters in Christ, however that might look, uh, whether it's heading along to a Bible study each week with a small group. Uh, I think there's something very much working against us when opportunities present themselves to speak of Jesus. Or if you're in one of those conversations... Uh, where someone sort of pipes up and starts uh, attacking religion or the church or Jesus, there's almost a sort of reflexive response to duck the punch that is coming, uh, not literally, hopefully, um, and to run for cover. It actually takes great perseverance, I think, and constant training to keep giving great energy some of our best time and Creativity and thought week in, week out to actually building up the body of Christ, the church. To wake up each day and count the cost of it, to actually feel it and make that conscious decision to expend ourselves in these ways is what it looks like, I think, to suffer for the sake of the gospel. It plays out differently in different cultures and times. But I think that's what's at the heart of it, to actually count that cost up front and choose to do it. That's what 2 Timothy calls us to do, to really suffer, but suffer kind of purposefully, to suffer for a greater purpose. Which is really helpful because none of us will choose to suffer if we don't know why but for a greater purpose, we choose to suffer all the time for things in life. Uh, Boxer, for example, trains for months, punishing their body for the glory of standing in the ring over their opponent, exhausted and victorious. Entrepreneurs will risk it all financially and give countless hours to establish both the business and the lifestyle of their dreams. Mothers, for example, endure pregnancy, then labour, For a child. In today's passage, the Apostle Paul first sets out clearly the task laid before us as Christians, one that we're going to be called to suffer for, but then also has a great sort of turn and gives us the motivation to run the course of the Christian life with great perseverance. So it's great to dive into the Scriptures today together and if you haven't already, it be a great moment to grab the blue Bibles on your seats and open up to 2 Timothy 2 which you'll find on page 1198. And verse 1 there at the top links us in to what we have just heard Paul say to Timothy in chapter 1. He says, you then my son be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Paul is vitally concerned now, his time is coming to an end, that The Gospel of Jesus, this great news that has been entrusted to him, is preserved and sent across the entire world. And when you think about it, we here in the room today are direct beneficiaries of God's uh, concern, Paul's, I guess you would say, God's given concern for this, uh, a little over 1900 years later. The heart of the message is that God saves us because we need rescuing from our sin. He calls us to live a holy life, serving God as we saw last week and that it's a gift of grace that we're saved, not due to anything that we've done, verse 9. We're told we're saved not because of anything we've done but because of his own, referring to God's purpose and grace. Then Paul is listed off like whole regions and great swathes of people that have abandoned Paul and more concerningly abandoned this gospel message. So he says to Timothy, you then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Then verse 2, which is really the key verse for today, and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust them to reliable people who will be qualified to teach others. Makes logical sense, doesn't it? He's already said just a few verses ago, what you've heard from me, Keep as a pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. So he's concerned for the content of the gospel, but also the heart of the person who's sharing it. And here makes the point more explicit that the gospel itself needs to go out. What you've heard from me time and time again in front of many others, a lot of Paul's letters are in wide circulation now, is he's entrust these things. To many people who will be qualified to teach. Paul has in mind a multiplying intergenerational work of passing on the great news of Jesus, the gospel. And what kind of people is Timothy to entrust this gospel to? Are they to be the great innovators of their time? Are they to be eloquent, winsome? Do they need to be highly intelligent? Well, Paul says here there's only one characteristic ultimately that really matters. Can you see it there in verse 2? They need to be reliable. I was listening to one of my favourite preachers this week who kind of asked the question out loud on why reliability is so important here. So we kind of get it with lots of jobs, you want your mechanic to be reliable, if you're going in for brain surgery, for example, you want to go under the knife with a reliable, well-disciplined, highly gifted surgeon at that point, it kind of makes sense why you want someone reliable at that point. The Gospel, however, is not brain surgery. You can share it with someone in under 30 seconds. God created us, He loves us, He designed us to live in relationship with Him, yet we all rebel against that and actually... The penalty for that rebellion is death. Yet, out of great love for us, He sent Jesus to die on the cross for anyone would tr- who would trust in His blood spilt for them to pay the price of our sins. So, there's a choice to make continue in our own rebellion, our stubborn commitment to self rule, as we expressed it last week, or come back to God via Jesus' death on the cross. And live in relationship with the one whom God has raised from the dead, Jesus, to live now for his glory. Now, you might express it in different ways. The content obviously needs to remain the same. But my point is if we had an exam on that in three months' time, it's not as if you're going to need to study for months and months and wonder if you're going to pass. It's not as if your first reaction to that is, my goodness, how am I going to remember all that? It's not complex. The Gospel is simple. You can teach it to a six-year-old kid and they can nail it. So the importance of being reliable here isn't due to complexity like it often is. So what is it about the Gospel and its need to go out that makes being reliable so important for you and I? The first thing I'd say is because of its importance... If you're in a building that's on fire and there's 500 guests in an auditorium and a person who knows the building well, you know, sort of smoke fills in, says, go out that door, turn right, down the corridor, second door on the left. That's the only place you can go where you'll be safe. It's not marked, we're not safety compliant, there's no signs, don't tell from Council. <laughs> the message itself is not complex, but everyone's life is on the line So you know why it needs to be passed on exactly as said. You don't want to get the left and right mixed up. You want it to be reliably passed down. Not complex, yet incredibly important to be a reliable conveyor of that message. But there's also another reason, a very pressing reason that we feel, because to pass the Gospel on we actually live in our society, and I don't think anything's changed since Paul first wrote this, we're actually under great pressure constantly to change the content of the gospel message from all sorts of quarters. If you think about the logic of it, the gospel messenger has to tell proud rebels committed to the project of self-rule that their biggest problem is that they're proud rebels against God and they actually need to humble themselves. Can you see the problem there, just in the way that it's kind of set up for us? Telling proud rebels they are indeed proud rebels, kind of upsets and creates friction uh, with proud rebels. It creates conflict, it creates heat and faithful messengers of the Gospel will constantly be opposed by many. Now we covered that in some detail last week, so... Let me kind of instead illustrate for you how it kind of tends to go down in 2018 with a very real illustration of uh, an area of life where we feel under immense pressure to change the gospel message. Now, I'm aware here in a room like this with people here for the first time and from different backgrounds, you might feel differently about the underlying uh, message here and I'm expecting this to provoke some of a response. A good way to express that might be to hit the SMS line up on screen. It's entirely anonymous and uh, you can say whatever you like and I'll get up after the sermon and uh, give my best shot at answering it. You'll understand why the intro once I get into uh, the example. So, I'm a visual person. Some of you are as well. Imagine you're at a quiz night, you know, picture pitch the snacks, <laughs> kicking back with a beer. You've just finished the political round, doing quite well as a table. But while you're on a bit of a break, the discussion turns to last year's same-sex marriage vote. And someone at the table fires up and says, I cannot believe those stupid, insensitive, hypocritical Christians who voted no last year. They have a lot to answer for. You kind of have that awkward pause there's about half the table know you're a Christian and kind of turn towards you and wonder what you're going to say if anything. At this point with only a few seconds notice if you're going to say anything we get the reflex is to duck that punch that's coming your way or change or water down the gospel message. Here's my best crack And in a loving, gracious way, remaining true to the gospel and not changing the message. So imagine you kind of decide to speak. That's the framework that you want to answer in. Throat would go dry and quietly at first, you might say, well, out of love for the LGBT community, I did vote no last year because I want the very best for every person And I believe that no one will ever know who we truly are until we know the one who created us, Jesus. I know myself, this is very true, but also believe that it's true of every person on the planet that we're all broken by sin, including sexually. And no one is excluded. We all sin and we all need a saviour, Jesus. And he freely offers us, each one of us, forgiveness cleansing from our sins, right standing with God and he calls us urgently to repent of our sins, not embrace them. And now we're called to live for him because he's risen having conquered death. He actually offers eternal life to us all. And I know how crazy that might seem to you and I'm aware you don't need to tell me how politically incorrect that is but I believe in my heart that it's true and that it's great news for every person on the planet. I'm actually prepared to kind of suffer and cop flack for that because I do it out of love for you, for others, everybody, including the LGBT community. Now, I can't imagine being so eloquent put on the spot after three seconds... (laughs) And in reality, I don't reckon you would get the 45 seconds that it took me to give that answer. But say you did. I reckon half the table might think, I've never heard anyone put it that way before. And they might be given cause to ponder. But let's assume the guy who started it decides to double down at that point. Broken. Did you seriously just say... Broken sexually. You know, it's people like you, finger pointing now, you people with views like that who are responsible for the very high suicide rate amongst the LGBT community. Teenagers, in particular. You people. Same response at nine, pin drop quiet, exactly what I think would happen at the quiz night. You can kind of imagine the music kind of grinding to a halt and the whole room, looking in on you at that point. Throat dry again. Well, respectfully, I don't actually see it that way. I think it's actually really dangerous to tell people that they're not living life to the full, a life worth living unless they can have sex on tap when they want it, with whoever they want it and in whatever way that they want it. There's a huge amount of sexual dissatisfaction the world over, their evidence is everywhere. And for the lonely person, the unsatisfied, telling them that they're not really living until they get it, I think it's actually only a very small step from there to thinking, well, if I can't get it, maybe life is not worth living. Whereas I followed Jesus. He was executed at 33 years of age. He was never married. He never had sex. And I actually believe he's the most beautiful and whole person to ever walk this planet. I know you're wanting the best for the LGBT community, but so am I. We just disagree on how to get there. But I actually think only one of our views is dangerous. Cam and I went to a training day recently a few weeks back with a guy called Sam Albury where we pondered these things recently. And Sam made the excellent point that it's actually a relatively recent phenomena and our youth, of which are many in the room today, won't even... Uh, Realize that people ever thought a different way. But he said, it's actually relatively recent, in the last sort of 10 or 15 years, where the highest virtue there is now is to look deep inside yourself and to discover who you really are. And to whatever that is, the greatest heroes of our time are those who look deep inside and have the courage to stand up against others Society, the church, and others, to kind of live and embrace who they are, and it 's also society's job not just to go quiet if we disagree we 're actually being pushing very hard, being pushed very hard now to celebrate and if we won 't celebrate with people we, you know we 're considered enemies of the state. Now, I think for our youth here we actually have a great job, a great work to do to uh, sort of explain that the world is not always thought this way. We realise you're growing up in this world but they're actually put across a very different uh, worldview that comes from God that as we are trained in the Scriptures. Because being true to the Gospel of Jesus actually cuts right across this way of thinking about life and you kind of get it, like, what, what do you mean? that how i feel is wrong who are you to tell me that god considers it sinful how dare you what do you mean the buildings on fire and there's only one way to get out jesus surely there has to be lots of ways surely if you know if i just do my best surely if i you know surely it's all about love <laughs> surely this can't be the answer only one way to be saved how close-minded Jesus, the only door out of the burning building? What a ridiculous notion. I think you can probably see and hopefully feel now that whilst the Gospel is not complex, it's incredibly important. And the pressure to change it is not a new pressure, but it's pervasive. The Apostle Paul felt it, and he wrote to Timothy knowing he would feel it, and I would suggest that as Paul wrote these words, looking down the passage of time, that every Christian who ever lived would feel this pressure to change the gospel too. Hence, the importance of the point, why the one word sermon title today, reliable. We need reliable people, qualified to teach others, who will guard the gospel, hand it down across the generations, explain in a, in a deep way, to our kids and our youth, how God sees the world. And this is not just some you know, random restriction from God. God's actually protecting something good here. God is good. He doesn't just give us rules to live by that we have to kind of hate and think they're a little bit harsh. God loves us and he truly wants the best for every person on the planet and that always begins with people humbling themselves before Jesus, acknowledging their sin, seeking God's power to repent of it and finding that at that point actually it's not because of anything we've done, we're saved by grace when we humble ourselves before God. So given all that, it makes sense when Paul says, join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hard-working farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I am saying for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. There are three very kind of proverbial sayings, aren't there? That Paul says that, you know, it's not like there's just one simple answer from it. Reflect on them. They give us a great insight into the Christian life. So, not thinking this is the whole answer, here's how I've reflected on them this week. We're being told here, stay disciplined. Don't get distracted away from the things of God. This message is vitally important. You live now not to please yourselves but your commanding officer and his name is Jesus. Like an athlete, you've got to compete within the rules if you want to get the victor's crown. You cannot change the gospel. You must hand it on to reliable people qualified to teach others. It's the vital work of the church. And like a hard-working farmer, keep your eye on the harvest. You'll receive your share of the reward from your gospel labours. But don't you feel it, it's kind of here, right here at this point, where you start to fear the weight of this. You might be thinking, well I believe this Gospel of Jesus, I believe Jesus is who he says he is. But Jesus feels hard. How do I press on? How does the full-time, fully-fledged Christian stay motivated across a whole lifetime? for such a task. Verse 8 Remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead descended from David this is my gospel for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained but God's word is not changed. Remember look to Jesus focus on him he's put death to death he reigns today today We'll spend eternity with him, suffering now, glory later. That's the pattern of the Christian life. That's why if the church markets itself as the life you've always wanted, they get it the wrong way around. Suffering now, glory later. And descended from David, I think is simply shorthand for saying, God promised this all long ago. We can read of God's promises delivered to Abraham thousands of years ago. We can read the prophet Isaiah, for example, telling us the manner and nature of the death of this suffering uh, servant whose name is Jesus in the Old Testament books like Isaiah. We can learn of God's saving heart and of what it means to turn to him today as we read the book of Ruth as we've done uh, for a little while now, just recently. If you need motivation remind yourself Jesus has risen, death has been conquered, God promises me much through Christ and God always keeps his promises and I love, love, love verse 10, therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. It's actually quite hard to suffer for a concept. Much easier to suffer for real people, all those whom God will save through His gospel. When I'm discouraged and don't wish to suffer for the gospel, and I've got to say it happens regularly, I had one of those days yesterday. <laughs> I think of people. Whom God has allowed me to serve in some capacity. My first formal ministry role was a Bible study uh, for year nine boys. And sadly, some have not endured with Jesus, but it seems that many have. I love looking out and thinking of some of those people now that I've known for 20 years, like Tom was one of those year nine boys. We had David and and Matt at our nine o'clock service today. It's great. To look out and see them almost 20 years later now, kicking on with the gospel, seeking to be reliable people, handing on the gospel to others. As I think of Sam and Aries and Georgia, Miranda, John, and many others who have become Christians amongst us here, I rejoice. As I think of the many who are among us who once thought, only a few years ago, that being a Christian simply meant believing in God and coming to church four times a year, who now know the gospel clearly and are counting the cost of following him week in, week out. Suffer for the sake of the elect, for our brothers and sisters in Christ? Well, I have, and I pray in God's strength I always will, And I also take great encouragement looking around the room at seeing many others who do likewise and who have served me in those ways too. It's a wonderful thing to labour side by side for the Gospel of Jesus. Yet for some of you, for different reasons, this idea of suffering for the Gospel may be new news... And I'd encourage you to pray and consider what it might look like because that's just part of the Christian life, reading scripture, understanding it, thinking through the implications for our life today and adjusting life accordingly. Yet if you've fallen into a pattern now over many years and decades of seeking and pursuing the most cost-free version of the Christian life... I think there's something that you really need to think through in light of this passage and indeed repent of. For all of us, our final part of the passage gives us something to consider, giving both promises and warnings. Where we read verse 11, here is a trustworthy saying, if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. I don't think I really need to add much to that. I'd encourage you to reflect on what that means for you. But the one thing I would like to do is correct a common misconception. I don't take that last line, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, as a kind of get out of jail free card, for us to sort of say, ah, oh, it doesn't matter if I'm faithful or not, we're saved by grace let's just keep going <laughs> I think it's actually the opposite it intensifies the warning, saying if we are faithless God will remain true to his gospel purposes and I think the way that warnings work in scripture, because that immediately challenges my view of being saved by grace is that that's such stern and clear warnings are God's way of, by His Spirit and His heart, speaking to Christians and warning us of danger so that we might turn and remain faithful. I think that's one of the ways God uses warnings to preserve those whom He has chosen to save according to His will and purpose. So don't be afraid of warnings as such, just heed them, I think. So what does this all look like today for us? Like, what are you supposed to kind of take from this in the week ahead, the months ahead, as you're planning for 2019? Well, I think the clear implication is that we shouldn't think of the role of being a sort of full-time, fully-fledged Christian is ever going to be easy. I think just a brief look at church history would dissuade you of that. A brief look around the world at other Christians and the way they suffer for the gospel. I think the world's wisdom would also agree that nothing of great value comes without suffering. And scripture, of course, tells us very clearly that suffering comes to those who want to live the faithful gospel life. So don't fool ourselves into thinking the gospel life is easy. And don't think that if something is hard that you must be doing it wrong. We're told it's going to be hard. I would think the other way, if I'm finding it easy, I would think, what am I doing wrong? (laughs) The other encouragement uh, I think it gives us, and the way I've felt particularly rebuked today, never having been quite so eloquent when put on the spot, is not to duck when those opportunities come where we want to apply the gospel faithfully into a conversation at a quiz night or wherever we might find ourselves. And I think it actually requires thinking through and spending time on what are the big sort of sticking points in life for the gospel, what are the big objections and how might I even attempt to answer when put on the spot. I also think it makes very clear that the primary work of the church is to entrust this gospel message to others unchanged in the knowledge that pressure will come from all around us to change the gospel message. Being reliable is a key characteristic at that point. I also think in a slightly more positive way, (laughs) what a great privilege it is to have so many kids here at church. Sometimes I kind of look longingly at pastors who have a congregation of, you know, 30, 40 people all in retirement age and they have an organist who uh, plays faithfully each week. I think, no music roster No kids' ministry roster. No one here's doing Bible studies. What am I going to do with my week? Maybe I can play golf, which I couldn't this week. (laughs) (laughs) But it comes at a cost. We shouldn't expect it to be easy. I don't think there's many people who find kids' ministry easy. It's hard. It's hard to week in, week out, month in, month out, to kind of commit to years of giving ourselves for the sake of teaching and training either our kids or our youth or young adults, what it means to be people who will faithfully hand on the gospel. We, as a church, have uh, grown quite a bit in five and a half years. When we started, we had 25% of our uh, congregation kids. If you look now and include Trinity Church only, which we planted this year, we've grown a bit over four times, but at the same time, our kids' percentage has grown from 25% to 40%. Our kids' ministry is growing faster than us. And there's a few people here who are directly responsible for that. (laughs) But I don't think we're expected to think that this is going to be easy. It actually requires an enormous effort for us all, even if we're not wired to serve in kids' ministry, to know that it's actually drawing a huge amount of our resources over to serve. So we want people to step up in music and putting chairs out and all sorts of other ways because we run a pretty high-energy version of church that requires an awful lot of people to serve each and every week and it's mainly due to having so many kids amongst us, what a privilege that we might be the people called to remain faithful and reliable in passing on the gospel to them. So as you head into 2019, I would encourage you to think, well what's it going to cost me? Can I plan to suffer purposefully for this great cause of the gospel because that's something we're all called to if we're serious about living the full-time, fully-fledged Christian life. To give ourselves in service, not because it just makes us feel part of the place, we give ourselves in service because that's how we're told in the Bible, God builds up the body of Christ. I get, and I feel it too, that life is busy But I always have a reaction when people say, well, you don't understand my life. Our household is so busy because I look around and see lots of other busy households making time for what's important to us, to serve the gospel together, aiming to be reliable people in a reliable church, passing down, having a vision for this multi-generational expanding work of passing on the gospel to the next generation. I think I'll, uh, I've given you a bit to think about there. I think I will stop and pray, and then we're going to respond in a minute uh, actually by saying the Apostles' Creed together. We do that roughly once a month, and I saw it in the service outline today. We usually do it before uh, the Bible reading, but I thought today a particularly appropriate way for us to respond. But first, I'll pray, and then we'll declare these great truths of the gospel handed down to us together as brothers and sisters in Christ. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much uh, for your word to us in 2 Timothy. We thank you so much that you have called your gospel servants across the ages, like the Apostle Paul and Timothy and the churches they served in, to give themselves to this great task of being reliable people under great pressure, faithfully handing down this most important message of the gospel to others. We acknowledge that we are direct beneficiaries of generation after generation who have done that faithfully. We thank you for the way that you've preserved these great truths in your word and we pray that we as a church might be faithful, that we might be reliable people who hand down this gospel faithfully to the next. We pray for all of the kids out in their programs today, all our youth and young adults here today who are getting called upon to give themselves... Uh, to so many things in this world, that they might actually see in their hearts that there's nothing greater than giving their lives to growing into reliable adults and youth serving others to hand down this gospel faithfully to the generation that will follow them. We pray that we might be a church always looking outside ourselves, not uh, content to have a full building and the bills paid but to always look beyond ourselves uh, for those who don't know you who desperately need to know that they're uh, actually the building's on fire and that there's only one door of safety and that door is our Lord Jesus Christ and people urgently need to respond to him in repentance and faith and leave to please their commanding officer now, running the race uh, with perseverance until the end. Lord, uh, this feels like uh, a very difficult, if not impossible, task if it were not for your enabling uh, by your Spirit. So we pray that Word and Spirit and our brothers and sisters in Christ might all come together and work in such a way where we can persevere where we can endure, where we can together uh, die to our own self-interest and to live for Christ and his gospel. Please help us to do that faithfully each and every day of our lives we pray. Amen. Mm -hmm.